recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. God's Word this morning. I'm really excited to bring this message to you because it's Pentecost Sunday um, and um, it's just such a wonderful opportunity for us to think and reflect on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and sometimes in Pentecostal circles, we don't observe this day uh, as, as well as maybe even you know, other people in different other streams of Christianity that follow the Christian calendar. Uh, and so at PCC, we really want to focus on, on this day and celebrate what God's done for us in, in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But I want to come at talking about the Holy Spirit kind of a, a little bit of a different way, kind of take a little bit of a do, detour in thinking about achievement, achievement. And, uh, we, you know, in our Connect group, we've had a few of our uh, young people, our older people um, graduating this last month. Actually, we had three. We had Michael Sentinel-Nathan, Michael De Silva, and Andrew Wong graduate from a whole bunch of different things, which is pretty cool. And, you know, it's wonderful to celebrate achievement, and we should be proud of it, and we should acknowledge that it is a significant thing. I mean, some of us might have trophy cabinets. I've been to some of your houses, and so I know you do, where all the soccer trophies, all the basketball trophies are all there. If you come to my office, you will see unashamedly hanging on my wall my degrees, which is terrible to even say that, but we do that, right? We, we hang the certificates on the wall. We have trophy cabinets. We make a big deal when our kids do well at school or get a merit award or a principal's award or go to swimming carnivals and they're there holding their little red ribbon. I remember doing all of that. We make a big deal of it and there's nothing wrong with that and that's good and we ought to celebrate hard work and achievement and success and all of that. The problem is when that begins to shape our identity, when we look to our achievements and our successes to give us a, a measure of our self-worth and our value and our purpose, and we, we wrap our identity and our value around our achievements and success. That's where the problem can arise. And we live in a world, let's not kid ourselves, that elevates and that celebrates success. We, 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 we honor the, the A-type personality that's the go-getter, that you know, is goal-oriented, that just goes hard, is willing to do whatever it takes to be the, the success, in, you know, to get the promotion, to, to work the 20-hour days, or whatever it takes to get the next job, to, to be the CEO, all of that. We, we celebrate that. We celebrate productivity and, and you know, hard work and achievement and, and sacrifices that need to be made. We, in our culture, we honor that. In many of our non-Western cultures, it's the same. The first question is, what do you do? Are you a doctor, a lawyer? You know, that's the mindset. It's about success and achievement. And if we buy into that, often it can lead to one of two crashing realities. One is that we're, we're discontent. We're, we're never happy. We're always pursuing the next rung on the ladder, the, the next promotion. The, the next opportunity and we're driven and we're driven and it's exhausting because we're like that hamster in the hamster wheel that is pursuing this achievement, this achievement and we never get there because there's always more. There's always the next thing and if our identity is wrapped around that to stop or to go backwards strikes us at the very core of who we are 
And so we have to be driven. We have to keep going. We have to pursue the next thing. Or the opposite danger is that we end up in depression and self-loathing because we, we see ourselves as failures. Because we've not actually, you know, the movie Failure to Launch, with that, we, we didn't launch. There were all these expectations and people had all these hopes. So we had hopes and dreams for ourselves and we look back on our lives and we've not achieved any of them. And we're crushed by this awareness that we're, we're just failures, we're losers And when we feel like we're trampled underfoot by all those other guinea pigs that are on the way to achieving their goals and dreams. Because there's always someone better. There's always someone smarter. There's always someone who's willing to pay more to get what they want. And we find ourselves crushed in disappointment, failure, self-loathing, and just hurt. And going through Bible college, being honest, I experienced both of those realities. Going into college, I was so driven. I was determined to be the best. I was, you know, working so hard to, to get the, the, the high distinctions. And I worked and I worked and it was never enough. If I got one D and I got four HDs, it didn't matter because I got the one D. And it's like, it's a D. But it was that drivenness. It just was never enough. And I remember, you know, standing in front of, in the breezeway at SMBC, looking at the, the results and I'm feeling this sense of shame and disappointment because I wasn't the first name on the list. It wasn't enough that I got an HD. I wasn't the top student. Somebody was better than me and it crushed me. And I'm standing there thinking, God, what is wrong with this picture? There is something very wrong here. And I remember even in my early days of ministry, see, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus doesn't make us immune from embracing this oppressive identity forcing of our world and culture. It's just as bad when you come into Christianity and you come into the church and you take on some of these mindsets. It still affects you. And I remember in early days of youth ministry, I'd go to these um, regional youth gatherings. Uh, Susan was one of our youth leaders and she'll, she'll tell you this. You know, and they, they would sit around and all these youth leaders from Sydney would be there and they'd be telling you the success stories, right? You know, we went into three high schools and 20 young people got saved and we had an outreach event and there were 100 young people there from the local schools and I would be sitting there going, please don't ask me, please don't ask me, please don't ask me. But they would. And I'd say things like, well, you know, last month we had 50, this month we're down to 40. I don't know what's going on. I'm preaching the Bible, I'm loving young people. It just doesn't seem to be working. God's blessing all of you guys, but he doesn't seem to bless me. I don't know how to make sense of that. And I remember I'd walk out of those meetings and I'd be so gripped with shame and think, uh, God, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I don't know what to do. And then, you know, it didn't go away, you know, after youth ministry. God taught me some really important things that shifted my heart in a lot of ways. You still go to conferences, right? ACC conference, national conference, and you hear the same thing. Success, achievement. This person grew their church from 30 people to 300 people in three years. They're the fastest growing church in Australia. And you walk away going, what is wrong with me? That is the problem here when we celebrate success and achievement and we don't begin to question some of those things, we can buy into that mindset and lose ourselves in that or put on a false identity because we just want to belong. 
And God challenged me about all of this in such a powerful way from Matthew chapter 7, if you can put that up. Which says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen to this, many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive our demons and in your name perform many miracles? That's achievement. That's success. Like if somebody has a ministry like that, we would say that's successful. They have achieved incredible results. But listen to what Jesus says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And God challenged me to think about this idea of what is success as far as God is concerned. What is our identity? I'm not saying in any way that those things aren't significant or meaningful. I'm using Jesus' words there. He's saying, you can do all that. You can project a false self, but you're deluded if you think that that's what I'm looking for in you. If you think that that's what your identity is, you're deluded. You're deluding yourself. And one day you're going to realize that you were betting on the wrong horse, as it were. You were sitting for the wrong exam. That's not what I'm looking for. I don't know you. I don't know your true self. I don't know your real identity because you've projected this false identity for so long that you've believed your own hype. The the previous passage that Jesus to Matthew 7, the earlier section, is also really, really interesting. In this passage, Jesus talks about not self-delusion, but our temptation to delude others. It says this, watch out for false prophets. This is the false self being projected again. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Again, they look like they fit in. They look like the right part. But inwardly, in their true identity, they're ferocious wolves. And listen to what Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Why? Because you can't pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree can only bear bad fruit fruit. You see, when Jesus examines your life, when Jesus is looking for your true identity, he's looking for fruit. He's looking for good fruit. He's looking for fruitfulness in your life. He's not looking for spectacular ministries or achievements or accomplishments. As a Christian, resist the temptation to buy into that thinking as a follower of Jesus. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for good fruit, fruit that represents kingdom life in you. So if you're visiting, if you're new, if you're watching online and you're connecting with us for the first time, we're partway through a series. We've just started this series called Who You Say I Am, where we've been reflecting and critiquing and asking ourselves the question, who does God say that we are? How does God see me? Not how the world sees me, not the pattern the world wants to force me into. And our identity is shaped and formed by so many different influences. And one of the biggest challenges is our own thinking. We tell ourselves that we are certain things. And that's why we need the truth of God's word to expose the lies and to show us who God sees us as and how he views us and what he says about who we are. And so this morning, I want to engage with this metaphor that Jesus is kind of using in Matthew 7 of being branches, of being fruitful branches and our identity in Jesus being branches that are fruitful, that produce and bear good fruit. And the best place for us to go here is a passage we love at PCC because I think it informs so much of my heart for for our church and where we're about, and that's John 15. You see, because, and if you're relatively new to our church or you've been here a long time, I want to say this to you. 
I see no point in doing ministry that achieves and accomplishes things for you to stand before Jesus on that day and him say to you, I don't know you. Uh, uh, that would be the biggest disappointment for me because we've just fooled ourselves. I've fooled myself into thinking, wow, what an amazing church we have. Look at all the things we're accomplishing. Look at all the things we're achieving. Look at all the things we've done. Look at this new building. Look at how many people we've led to Jesus. And then Jesus says, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know. Who are you? I don't know. I'm thinking, what would be the point of that? So that's why we do what we do. That's why we focus on the things we do. That's why we say things like, who you are matters more than what you do. We value you and your spiritual journey and you growing in Jesus than all the spectacular things that you might be able to do because of Matthew 7. So John 15, verses 1 to 8 says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Again, just reflect on that one verse. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Again, bleak. Something I never want to be said about any of us. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is your DNA. This is your identity. This is how Jesus sees you as a follower of him, a branch. Now I'm going to make some kind of observations that are really obvious when you think about it as a branch. If you think about branches, any branch, it's kind of obvious. But I want to state them as well so that you can sit with the impact that each of these observations can have in relation to your connection to Jesus. Firstly, Branches don't, don't exist independently. It's kind of obvious. And, and Jesus alludes to that. He said, if you don't remain in me, verse 6, you are like a branch that is thrown away. And what happens? It withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burnt up. A branch cannot exist disconnected to the source of life. It just can't. It's kind of obvious. Second obvious statement is that a branch can't produce fruit independent of the vine. You just can't. And again, Jesus makes that explicit here. Remain in me, verse 4, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Obvious, but profound when you think about your relationship with Jesus. The third thing is that Jesus is saying, if you're a branch and you're connected, then you will bear fruit. It's kind of, it's kind of obvious. And, and the story that um, we're told when Jesus saw the fig tree in the distance and it, was, it looked like it was full of leaves and he went there expecting there to be fruit. And when there wasn't, he cursed it because it was not doing what a tree was meant to do. 
And so when Jesus comes to your life and he comes to my life and we profess that we're Christians and we're connected to Jesus and we're following Jesus, he's saying, show me the money. Well, in this instance, show me the fruit. There's just this obvious expectation that a branch that's connected to the vine will bear fruit. There's no other way for it to go. And if it doesn't, there's something fundamentally wrong about that, which leads me to my other two observations, that if you are connected to the vine and you're not bearing fruit, then the gardener responds in a very severe way. He cuts you off. He cuts you away because you're you're clearly showing that you're dead, you're lifeless, and something is wrong. Either your profession is not right or you're not really understanding what it means to be connected to the vine because you're not producing any fruit. Obvious, profound. I mean, most of you might have you know, a garden in your home and you would know that this is true. What are we up to? Five. When the gardener comes and he sees branches that are fruitful, no matter how immature the fruit might be or how small the fruit might be or even if there's just one fruit on the vine, it causes him to respond another way. He prunes, he cuts. Why? Because he wants more than what's there to begin with. Now, (laughs) let me just hit you with both barrels here for a second. There's only two options and they both involve a knife. You just get to choose what kind of way you're going to be cut. Think about that for a second. That's terrifying, but comforting. Because you know who's holding the scissors, right? Yes. But there's no third option. There's no option when the, when the gardener comes and goes, oh, there's no fruit. I'm going to leave you be. I'll come back in six months and I'll... No. It's either gone or... Okay. We'll come back next season and see what we'll do. So I want to suggest to you that if you're not experiencing God's knife of pruning from time to time to time in your life, look out. Look out. I won't say any more. Last one. Oh, sorry. Number six. A branch can only produce fruit that's consistent with the vine. You're not going to get oranges from an apple tree. You're not going to get un-Jesus-like behavior and character and words from someone who's connected to the Jesus vine. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work in horticulture. Why would it work in Christianity? Everyone who heard Jesus preach this message would have understood the logic of what he's saying. So how does your fruit look? Does it look Jesus-like? The gardener's coming. He can't. Jesus said in Matthew 7, right? Figs don't grow out of a thistle bush. It just doesn't happen. And if you're branches, then the expectation is the fruit that will come out of your life is going to be Jesus-like fruit. And Jesus says that. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. That's the fruit that Jesus is looking at. Does that look like me? And the last one about branches is that when you're a branch, you can't take credit. (laughs) You can't take any glory. It's not about your achievement, right, or your success. The fruit that's produced is as a result of the inworking life of the vine in you, which is why Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. 
the more fruit you bear, the more glory goes to Him because it's Him doing the work in you through the life of the Spirit. It's not you producing more fruit by striving. And so you see how being a branch just undercuts our world's pressure for for achievement and performance and drivenness to succeed. It is an outflow of Jesus in our life. So in summary, branches are connected. Branches can't exist unless they are. They're dependent. They can't do anything in their own strength. And they're fruitful. That's what branches are. So my question to you is, how do you look as a branch? How connected are you? How dependent are you? How fruitful are you? Just to be clear, we're not saying here that if you're a branch, there's no sense of doing or achieving or investing into the kingdom. No, we're told that if a branch isn't producing, so there's productivity in the kingdom. Because Jesus says that the gardener will cut you off if you haven't produced And James says, you know, faith without works is dead. It's not about just sitting back and being a branch and just enjoying Jesus and enjoying his presence and being at church and being in community, enjoying all the Christian stuff and not popping out things in our life. That's not an option either. And Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, there's lots of runners that run, but they run to get the prize, right? And he's he's using that in the context of ministry. He says, even in the church, even in ministry, there's a point and a purpose. We run to get the prize. We don't box the air aimlessly. We we box it with intent to achieve. But then he goes on to say, but I do that in a way very, very cautiously. Why? Lest I be disqualified myself. Lest I find myself in Matthew 7. I've done all this stuff, but I don't know Jesus. It's not that these are either or things. It's about the order. It's abiding first. It's being with Jesus first before doing for Jesus. It's knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus that then leads to a life in Jesus. If we try to do it the other way around, we're going to find ourselves in Matthew 7. Impressive resume. Impressive spiritual history but not knowing Jesus. What a waste. Being disqualified yourself after running so hard. So how do we abide? How do we abide in Jesus? What what does that look like? And I'm just giving you a warning now, I'm going to go super fast. But hold on, because I don't, it's, it's not about you picking up everything I say, but I want you to catch something in the spirit. That's what this is about. I don't think it's accidental that Jesus precedes the branches and vine stuff with teaching about the Holy Spirit. I think that's how we remain. That's how we abide. And that's why John has arranged this material and Jesus taught this way. And so in John chapter 14, just preceding John chapter 15, Jesus tells us all these things about the Holy Spirit. He's our advocate. He's our helper. He is with us forever. The Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of truth. We can know Him and He lives in us and he, uh, with us and He's in us. He makes real the presence of Jesus to us. That's so critical. The way we know Jesus, the way we abide in the vine is through the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is making explicit here. He teaches us and reminds us of what Jesus has said. He empowers us to obey Jesus' commands. He makes real the presence of Jesus in our hearts. We abide in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, it's good for you that I go. I am not here, but I will come to you 
in the Holy Spirit as He lives in your heart and makes my presence real to you. Now you think that was fast? We're going to ramp it up another notch. Because in the rest of the, in the New Testament, there's so much stuff that we're told about the Holy Spirit. And again, I'm happy to send these slides to you, but I want you to listen and let it grab your heart. Are you ready? The Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus, Acts 1.8. He enables us to speak in tongues, Acts 2.4.10. He enables us to prophesy. He enables us to see visions and dreams. He gives us boldness in the face of persecution. He brings about holiness in the church. He fills us and enables us to serve others. He empowers us to do miracles. He gives us wisdom to speak the gospel. I know if the band can jump up. He leads and directs our gospel mission. He empowers us to overcome our sinful nature. He leads us. He confirms our identity as God's children. He helps us in our weakness. He prays God's will through us as we pray in the Spirit. He enables us to confess the Lordship of Jesus. He gives us different gifts to use in the church to edify and build each other up. He enables us to pray mysteries to God. He enables us to encourage and comfort others as we prophesy to one another. He enables us to encourage ourselves as we pray in tongues and build ourselves up. He leads us into freedom. He transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. He empowers us to overcome sinful desires. He produces Christ-like character in us. He keeps us secure until Jesus comes. He brings about unity in the church and he enables us to engage in spiritual warfare. And I stopped at Ephesians. Because I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to run out of time. There's just so much that God has for you as a branch. Oh my goodness. And that is in the spirit. And my question to you is, are you living in your identity of who you are in Christ? Are you living in the fullness of life in the spirit? We're spirit birthed, transformed, empowered people of God. Are we living in the Spirit? Come on, church. This is the life God has for us. This is the life that God has called you to. This is who you are in Jesus. We're not weird because we're Pentecostal. This is Christianity 101. This is the life that Jesus has for all people to live a life in the Spirit. for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.